Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. Today we interview Elizabeth O'Neill and her journey navigating preterm birth and becoming a single mother with her now five-year-old son, Ollie. Elizabeth is a journalist, a writer, a blogger, a TV producer, podcaster, and is studying a master's in counselling. Her greatest achievement is Ollie. This episode requires a trigger warning as we dive into grief, trauma, and the trials and tribulations of co-parenting and navigating the postpartum period solo. How do you do it all, Mama? So welcome back to another episode on our incredible podcast, but we are joined by a more incredible guest called, and you're, <laughs> you can cut that bit out. Yeah. We are joined by the beautiful Elizabeth Anile, and she is here to chat to us all about her motherhood journey. So not only is Elizabeth a journalist, a TV producer, newsreader, writer, blogger, she has her own podcast as well. And she's also studying her master's of counselling and is a mum to a five-year-old little boy called Ollie. How do you do it all, mama? Well, when you put it like that, I feel like I need a nap. (laughs) Well, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And we are so excited to have you. And I guess I'd love just to jump in straight away. Like, tell us a little bit more about yourself and all the different umbrellas or hats that you wear under the big umbrella hat of who you are. Wow. Yes. Okay. So I, as you said, I'm, um, my most proudest achievement is being a mum to my five-year-old son, Ollie, who's the little light of my life and I love and adore so much. So, um, obviously I've got that hat I wear. And then I studied journalism back when I was young, (laughs) young and had energy um, when I was in my early 20s. So I did journalism and then went to um, print and then went into TV journalism. So that's where I started my career Um, and then unexpectedly fell pregnant with my son, Ollie, when I was 25. Now, I can't believe it when I think of 25 is young, had him when I was 26, but I was 25 at the time. So that kind of put a bit of a break on my career for a little bit. so I had him and then my first job back was back at the project producing, which producing is a lot more like family friendly too. Like it was just more set hours. Um, so that worked really nicely there. Um, but then as he got older, like I just kind of wanted a bit more. So I'm still at the project, but I started, I got offered like a news reading gig at Kiss and Gold FM. So I do that. Um, not not consistently, so I'm casual there. So sometimes it could be a few times a week, sometimes not for a few weeks, but um, just reading the news there. Um, and then I was loving my own. I'm a very big, passionate believer in getting therapy um, and, yep, doing all the therapies. So after a tough time, I found an amazing therapist and I kept going to her with things like that, things I was reading and things I was really interested in. And it was actually her that said, have you ever considered studying this? Because it sounds like you're really passionate about it. And I never, ever considered that that would have been 
an option. Um, and I was, and this was in 2020 during lockdown, all the lockdowns in Melbourne. So I was like, started researching it and it just started feeling really good. You know, when you get that excited feeling and you're like, this feels good and it feels in alignment and it feels like something I want to do. Um, so I found a course at Victoria Uni um, Masters of, originally enrolled in a grad dip of counselling, but then I loved it so much. I'm like, I want to do the Masters. So I just took on more subjects basically. Um, and I'm in my second year of that. So I've started a placement one day a week at a local high school doing that too. So that's where I'm learning how to be a counsellor. Um, and that kind of brings me to here and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> You've got so many different avenues and, and things. And I guess that's what's really, I, you know, we're looking at mums and like we said before, there's so many different hats under that big encompassing umbrella of who you are as a person. And, and we would love to chat to you about how that's all unfolded. You know, when you said you fell pregnant unexpectedly at 25, do you mind sharing your journey through your pregnancy and how that evolved for you? Absolutely. So I was engaged at the time and unexpectedly fell pregnant and I just landed my dream job back in Melbourne. So I was working in Tassie in Hobart and decided like the distance was too hard and wanted to be back. So land came just through it all, all through my career, like up in the air basically and said, I'm going back to Melbourne and what will happen will happen. And of course on the spirit home channel seven's like, we've got some shifts for you. And I was like, every time you kind of jump, the universe kind of catches you. So I did that anyway, got those shifts and I was so happy. I was back with my fiance and like living in this beautiful house. And I just, I was doing producing shifts for seven, but then they offered me reporting shifts, which was my dream. And like, I did my first reporting shift and I was like, life is perfect. <laughs> there is nothing that like, there is nothing I could fold about my life. And then I'm, my period's always extremely on time. And I was like, it was one day and I was just like, I just, I know it. I just know it. Like it's, I'm never, this never happens. So anyway, I took a pregnancy test and my fiance at the time was overseas. And I was like, I just looked down at those lines and I was just like, what, what, what do I do now? <laughs> what do I do now? Like no one I knew was pregnant. Like I was, everyone was my age, like 24, 25. I just didn't know what to do. And suddenly the very perfect life I had all just upended because I just didn't know what to do. So anyway, I called him and he was coming home the next day anyway. And he was like, just hold tight. We'll speak about when we get home. And after about 24 hours of crying nonstop, poor Ollie, but I was just so scared and just didn't know what to do. We eventually were like, look, we love each other. We'll be together forever. Like, let's just, you know, this, you know, it wasn't quite the right time, but let's just go ahead with it, which really is the best decision I've ever made. So decided to go ahead with it. Um, and it was all very scary and very new. Like I had no one to turn to for like any kind of advice or anything. Um, I wasn't, I fared pretty well. Like I just felt for about 12, 13 weeks permanently hung over like I didn't vomit but I was just always nauseous and like you just always had to have like a salada cracker on hand that feeling like I need a dry cracker and if you don't have something in your tummy like you feel like you're about to vomit so I always had to have that dry cracker on hand and just extremely fatigued too like I remember I just started at seven I'm trying to make a good impression I've just found out I'm pregnant and we're going 
to a job, which was like in Werribee. So not far. So like in Melbourne, it's like 20, 30 minutes. And I fell asleep on the car. Like I was in the passenger seat on the way there. And I just remember thinking the cameraman was probably like, this new reporter sucks. Like how is she asleep? She's just started. We're only going to Werribee and she's asleep in the car. But I was just like, you know, that feeling like your eyes just couldn't stay open. So, um, Apart from that, fared pretty well. I got pretty emotional. I reckon around 11 and 12 weeks and I just cried nonstop for about two weeks. And I just didn't know what was going on. And I was nervous. I had like prenatal depression or something and just cried and cried and cried every single day. And then my fiance suggested, let's go look for a dog. And she's right here. That's a big <laughs> so she's the dog. And I just, she was the first dog I saw at the shelter and soon as I got her like that just lifted and she just gave me so much purpose. So I owe a lot to this dog. Um, so anyway, so once that kind of happened, it kind of lifted and I felt fine and I was getting on with pregnancy pretty easily and juggling work and stuff. But then I did the um, gestational diabetes test, which was just awful. Hideous. Isn't it? Hideous. <laughs> and they called me, they're like, look, we're just letting you know you've tested. I think it was like you tested positive. I think that's the language they use or we're just so used to that language now tested positive you've got gestational diabetes and like at 25 you get told that and I just am like bawling on the phone and she's like it's really okay I'm just crying and crying and crying at this news like what has this been um anyway it was fine I just had to like prick my finger and just like keep watch my bloods which was a bit was a bit of a new world and it also meant I had to be super healthy during pregnancy so while everyone was eating cakes and burgers and all delicious things I was literally eating like scram like, like eggs and low GI toast and just like pr- like l- protein and vegetables and I was like this is the most healthiest boring pregnancy ever but it actually <laughs> but it means I was very healthy so I guess that was a good thing but <laughs> I was healthy so I, I managed that pretty well and then it was about 32 weeks I was getting pains and I was like, this just, why am I getting these pains, these pains? And it was like a Braxton Hicks feeling, but I'm like, it doesn't feel quite right. But I had an appointment with my obstetrician my, Well, my obstetrician was away. It was a fill-in and he was just like, he didn't know me. And he was just like, no, it's fine. It's just Braxton Hicks. I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel okay. And they're like, no, it's fine. And I think you get gaslit pretty easily when you're a first time mum and young and you don't know what you're really talking about or advocating either and they just kept saying it's fine I was like okay and then it got to like the Friday so I was about 33 weeks and six days at this point and usually my fiance at the time went out every Friday night it just happened to be a Friday night he didn't go out and I remember I was in such pain I went and got I was going to dinner the next night, so I went and got a blow wave, not knowing I was in labour. So I was in labour at the hairdresser and I'm like, don't worry if every now and then I'm just in a bit of pain, just keep going. I don't know what it is, but I'm fine. Good, honey. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's just, it's fine. Just keep going with the blow wave. Like, it's just these weird pains I'm getting. Just like, okay. And then every now and then I'm like, Ooh, like this. Oh, thank you, Maggie, for getting in my face. And, and she's just like, I'm sure she's like, this girl, like she needs to go to the hospital. Anyway, so then I um, went home. I'm just lying in bed in all this agony. And then I said to my fiance, I'm like, when you get home, we're going to the hospital. Something is not right. 
they've got to do something. I don't know what, but they've got to do something. So we get to the hospital. He's like, okay. So we get to the hospital. I'm just in like active wear leggings and a top like this, just a handbag with my wallet and phone. And like, I'm like standing there kind of at the desk and telling them about it. They're like, look, we'll just take you through, hook you up. So she did that. And then I felt all wet in the bed. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, your waters are broken. You're not going home. I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) and then I'm like, called my mum. And I'm like, this has just happened. Like, you've got to come with my hospital bag. She's panicking out, panicking, freaking out. And then I remember just distinctly going, because my son was supposed to be a Virgo. And I remember just going, and he's going to be a Leo now. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the first things. I'm like, pack the bag and Ollie's going to be a Leo. The boy's going to be a Leo. So anyway, so she comes and so he he I had to be hooked up the whole time so everything I had planned for my like labor like I'd read this book and I'm sure I think it's Juju Sandin I think her name is with the balls I had all these things like lit like listed that I was going to do all of that went out the window because I was in such panic and also I couldn't get off the bed so I couldn't even do a lot of the things because I was hooked up and I remember just a hilarious moment that I'd written some dot notes in my phone about what to guide my partner to do at certain stages. And I shoved him the phone and said, read me this. And I think it was through a contraction and he started reading what to do when the baby's crowning. He's right. And he's like, imagine it's coming out now. Like he was starting to read just the wrong bit (laughs) and just like visualize the head. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm just trying to read through it. And then I looked down at the obstetrician. I'm like, are we at that bit yet? And he's like, no (laughs) put the phone away the phone's not working (laughs) so it was like now you look back and it was like this comedy of errors like that um and then I think their pain just escalated very quickly and because I was I didn't I always was very open to having drugs but I think I wanted to hold out longer but because I was in panic as well I was like I think I just need an epidural now um and I always was really scared of needles, but like as soon as they came around with it, I was almost like, give it to me, I'll shove it in my back. <laughs> just give it to me. Um, and then once the epidural, I had that, like it was just, oh, I loved it so much. It was just meant I could finally breathe and relax and take in what was happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the footy was on, my partner was, he was watching the footy and we were able just to kind of breathe and really relax and take it in what was going on. And then he came quite quickly. Like we got there at 7.30 at night, about 7.30, and he was born just after midnight. Wow. Um, so it was really quite quick. And then I just remember him kind of like being lifted out. Um, he was posterior. So he, and he kept, they kept turning him around, which thankfully I'd had the epidural. Apparently that's meant to hurt so much. So they kept turning him around and he's the, and it just is so typical of his personality. He just kept going back around. He's like, <laughs> not doing that so he just kept turning back around um and eventually they had to use because he just wouldn't stay there they used forceps to get him out so I had a cut um and I just remember him kind of being lifted out and like placed on my chest but then within about 30 seconds to a minute he was taken and I just didn't see him and I kind of just remember like but you're in such a blur you're not really realizing what's going on either it made me very sad to think about afterwards but at the time I didn't feel upset 
And then he was kind of taken away and taken straight to the special care nursery. Um, and he was a good size. He was two and a half kilos, even though he was six weeks early, but he had to be hooked up and, you know, in the blue, under a blue light and in the machine and had to have a tube and things like that. So it all just happened very, very quickly. And sorry, that was a very long story about pregnancy till birth. <laughs> Important. Yeah, and I think uh, one really big takeaway for me in that whole story is that it's really important for us women to be our own advocate, right? Like if we feel like something is wrong or doesn't feel right, it's not okay just to be sort of brushed off and, and to, keep, to keep, you know, um, going back and, and asking questions and particularly as a first-time mum when you don't know what to expect for sure. And I'd love to know, Elizabeth, so... Obviously, premier baby, your whole birth plan and everything went out the window. In terms of mentally recovering from that and processing that, how was that for you? And was it a struggle? Did you have tools that you could use up your sleeve to help you process what had happened? Not the short answer is not really. Um, it took a few days. I remember because I was in the hospital, I was in a private hospital. So I then had five nights there with him, thankfully. And I remember kind of like shuffling down in the middle of the night and like, you know, it was very sort of walk and shuffling down at like 4am when I'd wake up and just going and visiting him and putting my hands in the crib and, and just crying and just putting my hands on him and just going, how did this happen? I don't understand how this, how, how this unfolded. So it all was so surreal and quick at that time that I didn't, my brain didn't really have time to catch up. And I don't think it really did because then bringing him home two and a half weeks later was then the whole thing, settling and adjusting and doing that. Like, you know, the car seat wasn't even in the car mm -hmm. at that point. The nursery wasn't even set up. So then it was just on to the next. So there was never that time to really process how devastating and upsetting that really was. And to be robbed of that precious time that you always imagine as a mum that you're going to have when you have your baby. You always picture, like if you've imagined being a mum as a little girl, which I always did, you always pictured that time when they're first on your chest. And then I didn't have that and I felt robbed of that. And then in, in then the same time, it was a very traumatic time with my partner at the time as well. He was going through his own things. So I was managing and dealing with a newborn baby. I was managing like, an oversupply of a milk that just then the pendulum swung to a low supply because you don't have your, your baby's not there and then you're pumping and then mastitis and then you're dealing with the layer of troubles in your relationship that it just didn't get it just didn't even come to the surface what had just happened um and I don't think it really did even for a few years later until I was sitting with a psychologist and I I ran through that story and I ran through actually how quite difficult my pregnancy was emotionally um, with my partner at the time. And I was like, and it made me weep a little bit, just the thought of the birth. And I was just like, I just, and then she's like, you were still in your postpartum during all of that. And I'm like, but I never really had time to think about it because it was always just on to the next traumatic, difficult thing to deal with that took up more time in my brain and needed to be dealt with there and then. Um, so I don't think I really had the support, any support afterwards. And I don't, I don't think anyone knew what to do. And I think it would have been nice, really, maybe if the hospital offered a session, you know, or your obstetrician offered you maybe even just one counselling session just to help you process in real time what's just happened 
so it doesn't just get stored in the back of the newborn baby period to deal with maybe one day, maybe never. So yeah, not much support. And it's, I, I do feel, you know, sharing your story with other mums too, who have had babies in NICU, has that changed now? Or do you feel like that's still quite a common, a common area that is lacking in, in that system? To be perfectly honest, and I wish I had a really eloquent answer for that, I don't actually know because I don't know anyone else that's really gone through that. Um, And it didn't become, and because so much else was then going on in my personal life, it just became on the back burner. So it didn't become something I invested in. It didn't become something I even really thought about again. And, but I do feel like, especially first time as mums, not being listened to is a common theme. Yeah. regardless of the you know the whether I think I should have got counseling post-birth or anything like that I do think that there is just such an air of new mums not being listened to and not being taken seriously and I did get mad at that sometimes when I think about it I was like you know because I think that they can give you and I'm I'm not a medical expert in any sense but if you are starting to labor early, I think they can give you steroids and things like that to keep the baby in you longer. And it, you know, it meant that his lungs were a little bit underdeveloped and there was, it would have been really helpful if he had even just one, two more weeks inside. So, you know, it all, it all worked out how is exactly how it was meant to be, but you do sometimes feel a bit annoyed that if you'd been listened to, it might've been a bit of a different outcome. Mm. And it was lucky he was healthy in a good way. And Matt, you know, if he wasn't and it was even worse, it would have been, I think I'd be even more livid. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And Elizabeth, tell us about your postpartum journey, you know, with your relationship and, and navigating that. Because like you said, it's like you didn't even have time to process the birth and all of that because you had other traumas that you had to kind of go through. Can you unfold and unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So um, when our son was, you know, obviously the bubble of newborn bubble, all of that we're going through. But when our son was, my son was eight months old, I discovered his dad was having an affair. So I was then dealing with um, that absolute heartache like it was it was unlike any pain I think I have ever or will ever experience and it just was my heart breaking into 1,000 million pieces on the floor while you've got a new baby down there into the hallway so well eight months old so he's still a little baby and I remember then that night that um he left and then I just was lying there I was just in complete freeze response now I recognize I couldn't move. I wasn't even crying. I just couldn't move. And I was just staring at this little light. And I was like, and if I close my eyes, I thought of all horrible things. So I had to keep my eyes open and I've been up since midnight and I'm just staring at this light. It's like 5am at this point. And I remember thinking, he's going to wake up soon. Oh my God, he's going to wake up soon. And I have to look after a baby somehow so I was just like, just, just, but I just kept staring at the light. And then eventually I heard him stir a little bit earlier than he usually would have. And I remember like getting my feet off the bed and like, it was like, I could, I'd lost the ability to walk. And it sounds so dramatic, but when you're in it, it's just like, it's just, you've just completely, your whole world is upended. So my feet, like I put my feet off the bed and I was like, oh my gosh, walking just felt so challenging. And he was down the hallway and 
there was this mirror in the hallway and I remember kind of glancing at myself in the mirror and it was just like, not even my face. Like the color was strange, like just looked sunken. And I opened his door and I'll never, ever forget that moment. And he just started pulling himself up and I just looked at him and I still hadn't cried. And it still makes me emotional to think of it. And I look at him and he pulled himself up and he's doing his big smile because he's so happy to see me. And I just walked in. I just said, I'm, I grabbed him and I just said, I'm so sorry. Your whole life has just changed. Oh, it still makes me emotional. Your whole life has just changed. And I'm so sorry, but I'm going to be here and I love you. (laughs) And it's all going to be okay. And it is okay. Long story short, but it's just, it will, it's just this time that you're like the bookmark of your life is that moment. It's before that moment and after that moment. And it will, will forever more be like that in my life as that exact moment of picking him up. So, and then there began then that journey of being a single mom when you're like, there was a lot of screaming, like I'm 26 and a single mom. How the fuck am I, you know, am I a single mom at 26? How do I even date as a single mom at 26? Like all this stuff starts running through your head and you're like, I don't even know how to do this. So then that story then just started. (laughs) It's unbelievable. And I tell you what, my hat absolutely goes off for single mums. Like uh, the amount of meltdowns I personally have in my day to day, Um, you know, but I have my husband as my support. And so my hat just goes off for you single mums that are raising beautiful humans and taking care of them and trying to take care of yourself. And oh, I, I honestly don't even know how you do that or did that? There was many times. And you know what? There's just many times I didn't, you know, there was many times I just, I didn't know how. And like my mum would have to come over or my friends were so amazing and would change his nappy. And cause it was just some days that I just couldn't do it and I couldn't get out of bed. And especially when then he started within not long going to my, going to his dad, which I can't even remember how long, but not long after a couple of months. And you know, he's a newborn baby, still babies and even one. And you all of a sudden have every second weekend to yourself and you're like, fuck, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I remember just lying in bed those entire weekends because I was like, I, my whole world is on the other side of Melbourne without me. Yeah. And I'm just not invited and I'm not involved anymore. And I don't have anything else I do want to do. And that's gotten easier over time. There's certainly some weekends still you resent it, but I'm better at occupying those weekends. But for many of those first, those weekends, I would just lie in bed the whole time. So I'm like, I don't want to do anything else. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. And how's your relationship with Ollie's dad now? Um, It's yes, it's much better. So it's been five years now, um, which is unbelievable. It's I think when you have something, a huge life event, you, you can't believe it's been so long sometimes. Like it doesn't, I feel like sometimes the years betray how powerful it is, you know? And sometimes the years you'd hear the five and you're like, no, oh, that's plenty of time. And you're like, but it, it's some, in ways it is and in ways it isn't. So I sometimes feel like, yeah, you really betrays the impact of it, of a, the magnitude of a, an event, but um, it's definitely been tough times. And then there's been times we've got on really well and, you know, done things like co-parenting days and taking us on, the show and we've done little holidays and things like that 
Um, but it's sometimes just like two steps forward, one step back. And sometimes we get on really well. And then some other times not so much, but I think after a lot of my wonderful therapists and doing a lot of therapy, um, it's, you, I had to become really good at not controlling all the time and just accepting that, um, things are as they are and stop. I tried to fight for many years to create a really perfect co-parenting family and it just wasn't realistic. And I think letting go of that dream came with its own grief and pain. Um, so it's just, it's always just this process of letting go and acceptance. And then sometimes it's a bit better, but then you've dipping back into your toolkit of going, okay, I can't control someone else's behavior. They can't control mine. I just have to focus on what I can control, which is my response to things. Yeah. I feel like, um, uh, I guess at the end of the day, you know, Ollie's needs come first. So do you feel like sometimes, is that sometimes hard to remember when you're in that co-parenting situation or is it, yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's very easy to judge and I probably would have done it co-parents on, you know, being tumultuous or acrimonious sometimes. And you think, oh gosh, what about the kids? And I've done that. Yeah. But when you're in it, it's a whole minefield and it's very easy to be swept up in the chaos and the drama of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes then you, when you would take a step back, you go, oh, I just said and did everything I said I wouldn't do or I just behaved in a way I always swore I would never. And you just go, oh, but, and you can, I beat myself up. And then it's like, this is so hard. And sometimes I don't always get it perfect. And sometimes I stuff it up. And sometimes I do really well. And sometimes we do really, you know, we as co-parents do really well. And then sometimes it's just not quite right. And there's a lot of, you've got to be very gentle on yourself because I've spent a lot of time like being very angry at myself, but um, you've got to be really kind to yourself and just realize, you know, like you're not always going to get it right. And it's not always going to be perfect. And while there's so much I regret, maybe like my son um, not being a part of, because he never was, but just, just him having that as part of his upbringing, it's been a really good opportunity to talk to him about, things in a really age appropriate way. If I am sad or I am angry, I'm so vocal. I'm so passionate about letting our kids know that. Like you don't have to let them know the ins and outs, but just like mommy's feeling really sad today yeah. and that's okay. And he's like, oh, okay. And then, or I will be angry, not at him or just frustrated. And then when I'll come down, I'll say, I'm so sorry, mummy was just feeling angry about something else. It was nothing to do with here or you or anything. I'm just was feeling a bit frustrated. And just showing our kids that we're human and we have emotions, but we have the capacity to to repair that and talk through how we're feeling. And now I see my son does that all the time. He will talk me, he'll get frustrated at something and, and then we'll just have a hug. And then when he comes down, he goes, I'm so sorry. I was just frustrated because this happened a little bit earlier and that made me frustrated. And then I got angry at that and, or he knows he can feel sad or cry. And it's just, that's just how we feel sometimes. And it comes up and then it goes and emotion comes and goes. So um, I think it's been a really good learning curve to raise a child through that because you can, can be really authentic in a very age appropriate way. Yeah, absolutely. And how has 
it been navigating that communication style with Ollie around your role and your ex-fiance's role about, you know, the co-parenting? How do you, have you kind of gone through that challenge of explaining your situation to him in an age-appropriate way? Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because we separated when he was so young. He actually doesn't know any different. Mm, So, um I remember when he was a babe and we first separated crying and being like, oh, he's never going to remember his parents together. And I had a friend, I can't remember for the life of me which one it was, saying, that's the best thing. He doesn't remember. He doesn't know. He's not going to know any different. And so I was able, so that was equally painful but equally um heartening to know you know he doesn't he doesn't know the difference he's used to going to his dad's house he's used to do going back and forth so he said sometimes things like I've heard kids kind of say to him like well your does your daddy not live with you and he just goes no my daddy lives somewhere else yeah and like he's just so used to it he doesn't notice or really realize or even seem to be bothered I don't think which is and I think he's just got so much love like he loves my ex's parents so much so he loves going over there he loves my parents so much he's used to going between houses and that's just part of his life so I haven't had to really I'm sure one day he will as he gets older kind of say why aren't you and daddy together and I'm sure that conversation will come up um and I'm not really sure what I'm gonna say then (laughs) but I think I'll have to consult my therapist before I answer that question (laughs) But I'm sure it will and kids do do that. And I I do think it is important to be honest. Like, you know, they don't need the details and ins and outs. But I think it's – I don't believe in sheltering kids or lying to kids because they always find out the truth. And then they're always pissed off at you for lying to them. Like, that that just betrays their trust more, I think. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's short. (laughs) Another episode. (laughs) Well, Elizabeth, we are coming to an end of this episode, but um, before we wrap up, I just want to know, do you have any words of wisdom for other mothers who may be doing this solo or trying to navigate co-parenting as well? Um, What could I? Yes, there would be many. Um, I think... The first thing would be to have a support person, to have a therapist. I think is the most important thing. I think everybody needs to engage in some kind of therapy work, even if you're not separated, even if your situation is different to mine. I just think you learn so much about yourself and then ultimately become a better mum in the process. So I think that is just so vital and so important. And I think it's just like the this thing that came to me like when I was very, very heart in the midst of being very heartbroken. It's just like, it's just like riding the waves. And sometimes it crashes really hard and then sometimes it doesn't. But you just got to keep riding the waves and going with it and stop trying to fight it and just kind of accept where life is and what life looks like, even though that can be really painful to do that sometimes. And just understand that if you just keep kind of riding those waves, life will be better. It'll take you where you're meant to go. And the whole life will open up to you that you never would have imagined, but you just have to keep, you know, keep your life jacket on and keep riding those waves to get there. Really, you can't, there's no shortcut. Oh, that's, 
you have just given us and so many of our listeners so much insight and raw vulnerable chat and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on to this podcast because through the grief and the trauma and early motherhood and navigating that space you have just given us such an insight into that time of your life and and so many words of wisdom too so thank you so much we've all oh, been thinking yeah. this one yeah <laughs> oh, no, sorry <laughs> So, Elizabeth, where can our followers find you and, and tell us a bit, a bit about your podcast that you've got there too because I've been uh, incredibly lucky to be on your podcast as well. Yeah. It's such a great resource for other, for other women and, and people listening to this too. Yep. So I've got my Instagram, which I, I'm a bit, a bit sporadically uploading at the moment, but that's my name, at Elizabeth Neal. But then I've also my podcast, which isn't updating at the moment because, as I was mentioning earlier, obviously there's a lot going on in life. So I feel like if I did my podcast at the moment, I may have a mental breakdown. But that's called Lemonade and that's all about people's turning, people turning their lemons into lemonade, as the name suggests. And it's basically the stories people overcoming adversity, people turning their lemons into lemonade, all different kinds of stories. And it's all the stories I would have wanted to have heard when I was in my lowest to know that life was going to get better and to know that life was going to be okay. So that's what I wanted to put together for other people who are facing any kind of hardship or adversity. So, um, yeah, so that's there. Um, even though it hasn't been updated in a few months, it's still there's so many wonderful guests that I've had on that have shared the most incredible stories. And um, I hope that can still, you know, kind of live there being helpful for people. So Lemonade. And then I, when I was very first single, I started a blog called Bambi and Baby. That's where I got all my writing out. And that really, I haven't updated that for years, but that lives on the internet as just a resource for any single mum that might just find themselves there. And the whole point of that is for people women in that situation to feel less alone so that just kind of lives there with the writing from that time if anyone feels like that's applicable to their life too oh so empowering and we will link all of that in the show notes because i know there'll be so many women that will, will want to read the blog and feel less alone and that's why we created this podcast so thank you so so much for being a guest on today and sharing your story because it, it's touched my heart personally i know it's touched shell's heart personally so Massive love, Mama. You're incredible. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.